Today I have an announcement for everybody that is listening to this podcast and especially is interested in improving his or her skills in terms of leadership, in terms of influencing. I'm talking quite a lot in this podcast about it and I'm really passionate about it because I've experienced firsthand in my own career and in lots of other careers how investing in this skill and then applying these skills has helped me to have much more successful and much more motivating and much more satisfying career. So if you want to improve your leadership skills as well, then I have an offer for you. We are now enrolling again into the Effective Statistician Leadership Program. We designed this program, so we, as Gary and I, designed this program for statisticians to strengthen your leadership skills. This will help you to maximize your impact at work. And it also helps you if you have no direct reports. It's really about cross-functional leadership skills. The Effective Statistician Leadership Program is a modular program. It contains self-learning parts and, if you want, also moderated small group discussions. We have de specifically designed this for statisticians. And there's a lot of examples from the pharmaceutical industry, of course, but the concepts will also apply outside of the pharmaceutical uh, industry. It really aims at all levels of statisticians and we had all different levels of statisticians. We had people that were very, very early in the, uh, their careers. And we recommend that if you have started your first job in the industry, let's say at least one and a half years ago, then this is really good for you. We had pretty senior people in this program as well. And we got a lot of really, really positive feedback from them. So one of them, for example, is Richard Zink. Yeah? You can check on the homepage, theeffectivestatistician.com, what he, without us asking for it, wrote on LinkedIn about it. And that is really, really good. There's also a lot of other quotes from people that speak about the experience that they have in the Effective Statistician Leadership Program. So there's, for example, one participant who said, the program really helped me to demystify and break down what leadership is. Or... Another one that says the number one thing that was most helpful is that the structure of the program has helped me to go through the aspects of leadership and evaluate them one step at a time. That speaks to the framework that we are uh, talking here about leadership. Our framework gives you really all the different aspects about leadership because there's actually quite a lot of them. And, of course, there's a lot of leadership trainings that go into specific parts of that. For example, presentation or negotiation. 
And we put all these different parts of leadership into this framework. And that helps you to identify what is the basis, for example, for leadership, which is communication. And what you then need to learn about all the others. And when something goes wrong, you can then identify much better what went wrong and then adjust accordingly. We also give you a good model for how you can improve your leadership skills because it's not sufficient to just, let's say, read a book or listen to this podcast. That helps, of course, but it's not sufficient. There's a couple of other things that you need to do and actually you can do on a continuous basis, on a daily basis to learn about your leadership skills. And in this program, we will teach you how to do this. Now, this program has basically three different parts in it. The first is we have um, videos for self-learning, so at your own time. So it's really great for people all around the world. Initially, we had it in a, in a live format. And of course, that meant that you needed to organize your calendar to be available at a specific time. Now it's self-paced learning and we have about 13 hours of content. Now 13 hours of content sounds really, really a lot, but the program is there to be actually consumed about something like five months. So if you think about five months, then it's about, you know, maybe an hour per week or less that you need to invest in it. Okay, the second part that we have in the program are assignments. These assignments will help you to apply what you have learned through an exercise or in your day-to-day -day job. And these applications and then reflecting about it will help you to much better understand the concepts, to see how it really applies in your day-to-day -day situations. The third part of the program consists of what we call masterminds. And the masterminds are really, really cool part of it. In these masterminds, we create small groups of about 10 people each, and Gary will walk with these groups through the uh, program and will review what you have learned, discuss about your experiences, and then you can learn from your peers as well as talking about your own experiences and, and reflecting on them what real leadership is and how to become better at it. And you will learn all the different steps to become a better leader. So this is, of course, something that is a premium access. Yeah, so the, the masterminds take a lot of time and therefore we only have 30 slots available for these. Taking just the online recording and the assignments doing it yourself is, of course, you know, there's much more slots available for that. That's no problem. But for the masterminds, there's only 30 slots available. And I guess when you 
listen to this. Um, we have already started with a promotion and these slots will actually fill up quite fast. So head over to theeffectivestatistician.com and check out the Effective Statistician Leadership Program. It's directly in the menu at, at, the, at the start. You can't really miss it and, and sign up for it. Now you'll probably need to convince your supervisor about why your supervisor, your company should support you attending this program. And we have been thinking about this. I had these discussions quite a lot and Gary as well. And Gary has been, you know, a, a supervisor for a very, very long time who were approached by people about, um, yeah, I want to do this program or I want to do this course and I want to spend money here in, in terms of my development. And he knows what makes a supervisor approve these things. And so he has put down a couple of good arguments that you can use with your supervisor and why he should approve this spending. Of course, we also had students that paid it out of their own pockets because they saw it as something that is really, really helpful for their career, irrespective of whether the company pays for it. But if your company pays for it, that's even better. Now, what is the price of this? The um, You can actually purchases just, you know, without the masterminds, then it's 449 euros, which is about more or less the same uh, in, in dollars, a little bit less and uh, a little bit more in dollars. Uh, or you can have the, um, all the three modules that we are offering together with the masterminds, then it's 699 euros. I think that is really the best value for money and I would highly recommend to go with the masterminds. If you want to just try it out and just buy the first module, yeah, then you can have the first module for 179 euros and later purchase also the other two modules, so modules two and three for 349. But I'd really recommend you going to the one with the masterminds. I think that is really the best value for money. If you are a supervisor and you're listening to this and you want to enroll more than 10 participants, and we had a couple of companies that enrolled lots more, um, then just contact me. You can find the email on the homepage and then we can set up something specific for you. If you have any questions, yeah, reach out to me and write at alexander at theeffectivestatistician.com. I'm happy to help you to, to answer any questions or contact me via LinkedIn. Yeah, and if you have any questions about it. We have now more than 100 uh, students that went through this program and we received a lot of really, really good feedback. Uh, just recently, I had a supervisor that um, enrolled quite a lot of students in, into this program and we had a very good discussion with him and he was very, very enthusiastic about the feedback from the participants. Or I spent some time with um, 
uh, company, actually uh, a CRO, that enrolled a large proportion of their uh, statisticians and their senior programmers in this program. And they absolutely loved it. And they actually did it without the masterminds, but they organized it, uh, the masterminds basically themselves within the company. That's, of course, also possible. Yeah? So if you have a good moderator or someone that is already very, very good in, in leadership skills, that's maybe an option yeah? that, that you do it completely for yourself. Yeah, and go through it as a, as a group, um, then yeah, touch base with me and we can enroll a, a, a bigger group uh, at once. That also makes it easier. And there is also a special bonus if you enroll more than 10 participants. Okay, so that's it. Head over to theeffectivestatistician.com Uh, to learn more about this program. There's also frequently asked questions on all kind of other things that I don't want to mention here on the podcast. More quotes and all the details about the program. But I'm sure it will help you. Invest in yourself. I wouldn't talk about it if I wouldn't be really convinced about this program. Um, Gary spent years, actually a decade, uh, working on these. And he is really proud about this program because it encompasses all the learnings that he had over this, this decade of teaching about uh, leadership to statisticians. And you can benefit from it. So head over and register now. Or talk to your supervisor to get approval. Bye for now. You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, the weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today we are talking with David Kerr about data monitoring committees for clinical trials and the role of the statistician. Maybe it's something for you. What are you doing this year for your career, for your improvement of your chances of promotion, for your development, your personal development, and for having more fun and getting more satisfied at work? Are you only investing into skills like better programming, learning new methods, learning new technical skills? Or are you also investing in your so-called soft skills, which are actually not so soft? If you are missing to invest in these skills, you are really limiting the options that you have. We have now the new leadership program from the Effective Statistician available at the moment. It comes at a really, really fair price and you can take it with or without the mastermind. So it can be completely self-paced. Have a look. Just head over to theeffectivestatistician.com, learn more about the details, have a discussion with your supervisor if you don't want to pay it yourself. There's actually some hints there about how you can convince your supervisor 
And then invest in yourself. That's the best investment that you can do. This show that you're listening to is also investment and it's uh, created in association with PSI. A community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. You can learn much more from PSI this year by accessing the video on demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars and much, much more. Just head over to the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician. Today I am again here with Benjamin. Hi Benjamin, how are you doing? Very well. It's one of our rare occasions for the evening. Um, yes. <laughs> it's dark outside and everything. Yeah. But we have somebody uh, joining us and it should be light outside at your side, David, isn't it? It is. It is. It's very nice outside here in Seattle, Washington. So it's in the middle, middle of his day and we are really happy to have David Carroll here with us and we are talking about DMCs. Um, yeah, actually, um, David, maybe maybe we just make a quick start so everyone knows us, but maybe you can give a little bit of introduction to yourself. So why, um, you know, what, what did you do in your past? Where, <laughs> um, why are we talking with you about DMC? So maybe you can give us a little bit of a background to you. Sure, sure. Well, I, I was uh, raised here in Seattle and I never left. I went to the University of Washington and got my master's degree in statistics and you know, it just kind of ended up here at Axio, now part of Cytel, as at a CRO, Contract Research Organization. And it was just a, a perfect match. I'd, I'd always liked uh, solving puzzles. I'd always liked numbers. That's what led me to a career in statistics, just trying to find the signal in the noise of all the data. And then I ended up here at, at Axion. I've been here for 25 years and just enjoying the variety of work. And we'll talk about DMCs. And that's what I've been doing for basically tw the last 20 years. So for those that have no clue what a DMC is, how would you explain that? Yeah, well, let me take a minute here. So perhaps uh, you and your audience are familiar with the concept of double blind clinical trials. So we have a a new treatment that we think might be helpful for some patient population. And we'd run a clin clinical trial and uh, we randomize and we might randomize half of the people to get active treatment and half to get a placebo. And that's very standard. But the key aspect is it's blinded. The subject, the patient doesn't know which treatment they are on, active or placebo, and neither does their doctor. And that's great. That removes a lot of bias. So many of these trials take many years, three, four, five years even. So you go to the end of the trial, nobody knows who's on which arm, and then you kind of open up a, a virtual envelope, not a real envelope, but a virtual envelope, and you see who was on which arm and which group did better, and hopefully the treatment, uh, the people on the treatment did better on average. You open up that envelope, you find out who, how um, the people were treated, which treatment they were on, and it turns out the new treatment was amazing. It was the new penicillin. Every, we just had dramatically impressive results. And in fact, they were obvious a year ago, two years ago. And you wish, oh my gosh, wouldn't it have been nice to stop that study early? Or on the flip side, you open up the envelopes and it turns out, oh my goodness, we were causing four times as many heart attacks of, for people on the active arm. 
I wish we'd known that earlier. We could have changed the protocol. We could have done something to stop the study earlier. Or you open up the envelopes at the end of this four or five-year study, and you know what? It turns out there was no difference at all. The people on the placebo arm and the people on the active arm had exactly the same outcomes. And you think, oh my gosh, what a waste of millions of dollars and everybody's time. I wish we'd stopped the study years earlier. So a DMC, Data Monitoring Committee, is a group that takes those sneak peeks at these blinded trials. They are outside of the company. They look and they make recommendations if the trial is still safe and ethical to continue. So very critical for the patients that are on the trial and potential patients to be reassured that even though everybody else is blinded, nobody else knows the biarm results, that a group of independent experts is looking out for the best interests, the well-being of these patients. So why do you need a statistician in that data monitoring committee? Right. So the status, the, the DMC is mostly comprised of medical doctors, but medical doctors are most used to looking at individual patients. A, a single individual comes in and they assess, how do I treat that one patient? But we are providing these DMCs with summaries of data by treatment arm. We are giving them p-values. We are giving them summary statistics. We are showing them group summaries, treatment A versus treatment B, active versus placebo. And it really helps. I might even say it's essential to have a statistician there to help, help them interpret that, to help avoid the problem of multiple comparisons that many people fall in the trap of um, and, and there are other such ways of interpreting the data. So typically the DMC has a DMC member, a voting DMC member, but then somebody like myself from a group supporting a DMC will also have statistical support such as myself. So that means you're working in an environment where <clears throat> you work with your colleagues that are all unblinded and they support the DMC with the exact or with, with a pre-specified subset of outputs that, that is needed for them to give, give a recommendation of, you know, either continue or stop or, you know, do any changes, safety, safety review, et cetera. So that is, that is basically the, the environment that you are working in. Right. So my colleagues and I are fully unblinded to these trials for the, and, and for the many trials we work on. Uh, we, we have to appreciate the confidentiality of that. So we create, like you said, the subset of critical tables, send those to the DMC, facilitate their discussion, walk them through the outputs, make sure they understand what we are providing. The, um, we try not to editorialize. We try, we're not voting members usually, but we want to make sure that they understand the data and what they can infer and what they cannot infer from it. Um, And yeah, so we get to see the data that nobody else gets to see. We, we call it, we're, we're, we're behind the closed door. We're in the closed door meeting where we get to see what nobody else. Okay. And in terms of uh, the tables that you look into, Benjamin just said it's, it's all pre-specified. Is it really so strict that, that you only have these pre-specified ones? I could say ink on the efficacy side that possibly it could be manageable, but I would say if if there's something you know weird going on on the safety side, you might want to kind of dig deeper then to certain topics, isn't it? Definitely. So 
what we would normally have happen is before anybody's even enrolled in the study, we have an organizational meeting where we all get together and put our put our heads together and think about what what, what should we do to start? What what adverse event tables? What laboratory data? What vital signs? But then as soon as we start to have data review meetings, it's definitely at the discretion of the DMC to request additional outputs. Sometimes the uh, sponsor, the, the company running the clinical trial will be aware of that, but sometimes the requests will be confidential. We will not tell anybody except the DMC and my own group will know about the creation of those new outputs. If there's an imbalance in um, liver function tests, the DMC may require, request me to make an e-dish plot or to do some other extra analyses for them, either immediately or for the next meeting. And so we we definitely want to support the DMC and get them whatever they want. That being said, we, we usually do start a little bit small. These DMC members only have a few hours in their schedule to review in advance of our meetings. This is just a side, a side job. This is not their full-time work. So we have to respect their time. We cannot give them thousands of pages. We have to be aware and give them one or 200 pages of the most key materials, at least initially, and then they can ask for additional outputs. Yeah, I mean, that explains why there's a strong statistician needed in terms of you know, guiding them through the, you know, through the set of outputs. I mean, we see this also outside from DMCs that we, you know, we really need a strong stats lead that is kind of juggling um, you know what, what is relevant and what's the most important one and then really uh, puts the audience through the um, through the set of tables in terms of the set of tables as we have talked about in a couple of other episodes in, in this podcast can you only look into kind of static tables or could you also have something like interactive dashboards especially on the safety side That's a great question. And we, we've thought about that. At the moment, it's a static package that we get. We get a, a snapshot in time. We create a, a it used to be a, a three ring binder that got FedExed, but now of course it's a PDF that we distribute electronically. And we send that out. And then we have the DMC meeting itself where we review. A couple of reasons for this, although like I said, there's a discussion. If, a if, a, if there was a decision to recommend stopping the study or to make a major change, for, for archive purposes, for documentation, it's nice to know exactly what the DMC was reviewing. And it's nice to have that discussion only take place in a DMC meeting where you can document with minutes exactly what occurred and exactly what led to that recommendation. We do try to do some innovative graphics for adverse events in particular and lab data. But again, those are, are static. I also worry a little bit about some of our medical doctors over-interpreting some of like what might be found on an R-Shiny app, for example, over getting overexcited by looking at 10 or 50 or 100 different parameters or subgroups and finding one that looks interesting and not quite realizing the p-hacking, the data dredging that they had just done. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So it's I think it's really important to have a clear understanding of the value of evidence that you have and the, the quality of that evidence and to have traceability of all the data that went into the decision-making so that afterwards you can clearly say, okay, this study was stopped 
both for efficacy or for fertility or for safety reasons, uh, you know, and and you can really show to everybody, the, the sponsors, the, the regulators, what was the evidence that was driving this. Yeah. Right. And, and we don't ask the DMC to take too deep a look, not like you would find companies doing for a, a clinical study report, a final report, looking at dozens and dozens of subgroups. Again, the DMC's role is just to isn't just, but it's critical, is to see if the study is safe and ethical. And usually we can take care of that with fairly straightforward adverse event tables, fairly straightforward lab and vital signs, et cetera. These are not terribly sophisticated outputs, although they can be depending on the situation, especially for efficacy outputs. And we haven't talked about formal efficacy boundaries. Occasionally for our, our safety data, it's a little more sophisticated. We might do... Um, adverse events per 100 patient years, or do other ways of showing lab data in interesting ways. But usually we wouldn't need or expect our DMC members to be doing their own investigations. So in terms of the safety side, uh, if you kind of see some signals there, would you then start to understand, like to understand whether there's a certain subgroup that carries all the risk or what you could, could, would that be actually possible in such a setting? Sure. So, and actually DMCs have taken it on themselves to do this. At some point, you might reach out to a very small group, perhaps even a single individual at a company to give them a few of the insights and to get their thoughts, since they are perhaps more involved with the study and may have other ideas. But I've definitely had DMC members where we see an imbalance emerging. Let, let's let's take the heart attack again. We see ten versus two on heart attacks. All right, it, it, it's a little a little concerning. Ten versus two. I can run a p value, although I'm not quite sure how I'd interpret that in the sense of there was hundreds of possible p values I could have done, and we chose the one comparison that was the most interesting. Um, but we can look at that ten versus two. We can see is it uh, split by geography? Are, are they more frequent in Europe versus? U.S. versus rest of world? Is it more frequent in men versus women or in the less severe disease or the more severe disease? Um, that can help them guide their recommendations. They may recommend a protocol amendment to not include a certain group or to have more monitoring on a certain population. So we definitely work with the DMCs to help that. And if you start to see a safety signal, again, we might do other, other outputs. We might kind of for adverse events, we might look at the SMQs, the standard metric queries, look mm -hmm. at constellation of terms, put them together. We might see if the lab data and the AE data correlate. So we, we can we have we have tools we can bring out to help the DMC really understand that safety signal. Yeah, I think it sounds like very a very specific role. And I, I'm trying to understand what is the you know, what is the skill set that you would recommend for a statistician? Because I can imagine it's quite a difficult situation, maybe not normally, but in in some situations where, you know, where, well, at least I know that people or investigators often try to overinterpret data, um, look into subsets and, and you know, trying to find something interesting, digging deeper, um, really, you know, but what's the role of the statistician there? And I think we need to have a very strong 
role of a statistician in order to really get to the point, focus, isn't it? I mean, I, I would understand that this is quite difficult situation or could be sometimes quite difficult situations for a statistician to fulfill all sides. Sure. So, right. And so <clears throat> you've, you have the DMC voting member statistician. It's great if they can feel free to speak up to their fellow voting DMC members and that they have a good understanding of clinical trial data. And especially if there's formal Uh, monitoring guidelines for overwhelming benefit or futility. It's great if that member has that skill. But for the statistician who's from the outside group facilitating, such as m myself, um, we need a, a lot of skills. It's, it's, it's hard. It's not things that you learn in grad school, although that's part of it. We definitely need people that have the, 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 the skill set, basically a, a master's degree or more in statistics, But there's so many other skills involved. We need people that can communicate clearly, both in writing and over a phone and in person. We need people that can help lead a discussion, facilitate a discussion, making sure that if somebody's off topic, they can kind of bring them back in. Basically, we're, we're the master of ceremonies, or if you want to look at it, the, the ringmaster of a circus, making sure everything happens that needs to happen and just kind of moving these one hour, two hour, three hour DMC meetings along so that everything gets accomplished. And at the end, we have a, a recommendation from the DMC about the continuation or not of the study. Being able to handle tricky interactions, and I won't say political, but just differences of opinion or, you know, between a DMC and the sponsor potentially, where the DMC wants something to be done, but the sponsor pushes back and kind of being in the middle and trying to get those two groups to collaborate well with each other. So it, it, it's, it's tough. It's tough. And it, it takes quite a few years to get to a, a certain skill mm. level. And probably you need to be also neutral in a way. So, you know, what you said, poker face kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah. not, yeah, not, not giving one or the other the opportunity to, you know, say, well, but as a statistician said, you know, <laughs> no, <it's really> <laughs> we, we definitely, we definitely, Uh, in all regards and be, be like Switzerland, you know, sort of neutral. <laughs> um, and, and again, as you sort of said, we have access to, to the, the results. And if we're having discussions with the team about scheduling the next meeting or um, including new outputs or, or things like that, we have to make very careful that our body language and our, our tone of language are, are the same, regardless of whether the results were amazing, horrible or um, neutral. Yeah, yeah, I think that is really the most difficult part. It's probably now much easier if you actually sit somewhere else and, you know, with, with the lockdown, you even <laughs> don't yeah. need each other. And, you know, with a virtual meeting, you can really, you know, uh, don't have the video on, <laughs> which, yes. is, which I usually recommend. Um, to, to, that you even don't need a poker face. But, but yeah, I completely see that. I think, um, when you work in the same office, then, uh, it's, it's really important that, that you have these kind of poker face. You know, you mentioned before is, the, you know, you have the, you know, the data, you have the insight to the data. So how, how do you actually make sure that that's, this really stays? in the group of unblinded people because i think you know you have so much usually i mean i know this from from our studies is you have so much interaction with different groups i know this is limited with you but you know um what, what is the what is the 
you know, the, the fences that you can pull together and really make sure that the unblinded data stays within the unblinded group. Yeah, and that, that's that's a that's that's what keeps keeps me up at night um, is making sure that we have all the proper precautions. I mean, some of it is outside of our hands. We, like I said, even when we were doing the three ring binders and FedExing it to a member, I would ask the member to keep that three ring binder, you know, locked up. And after the meeting, we would have them FedEx it back to us for shredding. But I could never be entirely sure, you know, where that binder would end up. And now we are allowing for electronic distribution and we ask them to take care of it as confidentially as they would for any, you know, of, of their medical documents working in a hospital. Most doctors are familiar with um, how critical it is for patient confidentiality. And we ask them to do the same, but honestly, that's a bit out of my hands internally. Uh, when we're distributing, we always a second pair of eyes. We might write up um, minutes, for example, from an open session where everybody's invited. And we write up the minutes from the closed session where only the DMC participates. Well, when we're sending those out, we need that second pair of eyes to make sure, okay, yes, these are indeed the open session minutes. They are going to the study team, but these are the closed session minutes. These are diff going to the DMC. That second pair of eyes and, and other processes are and tr double, triple checking as needed. Um, but yeah, probably if you get kind of, uh, as a sponsor, statisticians is kind of blind, unblinded material, you, you know, you probably need to kind of be somehow quarantined but now because <laughs> you, you got infected. So right. I mean, I, I've heard stories, luckily, you know, knocking on wood here, but I've heard stories from other other clients that that has happened on occasion. And then there's just a lot of uh, paperwork and, and regulatory and just a lot of issues that I really don't want to, to face. If you have a infected, biased, uh, potentially biased, somebody who should not have had access, that that is tricky because then any protocol amendments, any changes to proposed approaches in your SAP um, could be looked at as, as tainted, as based on the interim data. And then there's also a concern, and I haven't heard this personally, but I've heard where people from even uh, Wall Street, you know, investment firms calling up DMC members and kind of kind of trying to get inside information from the DMC members themselves on how they're feeling the study is going. So it, it's not just, you know, us, the DMC and the sponsor. This is um, important information for outsiders, but you know what? I don't want to go to jail and I don't want my employees to go to jail and I don't want my DMC members to go to jail. So I try to always emphasize, don't talk to anybody. Yeah, no, I agree. But I, that's what, what I had in mind as well when, when you mentioned it. This is, you know, when we're going outside, because I think it's it's on one side is the, the study data and, you know, as I said, the documents, SAP, and, you know, if you're biased and you're potentially biased. But also, if it goes outside, I think it's an economic factor that is, um, you know, that, that you're going to jail for if, in case it happens. No. Yeah, um, I mean, I've I've definitely had um, regulatory agencies here in the United States, anyway, send me a list of 40 names and ask me and my teammates, well, do you know any of these 40 people? Because they made very well-timed um, purchases or sales <laughs> on the stock market. And, and luckily, I've never found anybody I know, but... Yeah. <laughs> No, but that, yeah, I, I know I had this one as well before with my previous employee, though, uh, where, where there was, um, they're really the, the authorities, they're really after, after very well, you know, 
timely made mm -hmm. decisions in the um, in buying. Yeah, no, it's thrilling. So I, especially you know the fact that this is um, you know as you said it, you know it brings your maybe it, it kills your sleep, but on the other hand it's like a really thrilling um, opportunity to to get inside some information and and correspondence with people that that have a very unique uh, knowledge about uh, the study details, which is um, which is probably really really amazing to work in. So, yeah. well, I was just going to say it, it, it is exciting and, and especially if you have a study coming up or a, a meeting coming up where you're potentially stopping for overwhelming benefit, there's a formal stopping boundary and, and maybe it's my programmer, but maybe it's me being the very first person to kind of merge that randomization with the data and create that efficacy table and say, Oh yeah, that is a p-value with a lot of zeros, <laughs> and, and it's going to be good. It's, it's it's good for you know. I'm I'm indifferent. I honestly don't really care. You know, I mean, I want patients to do, to do well, but I, I don't really you know make money one way or the other. But but if there's a lot of p-value, if there's a lot of zeros in that p-value, I'm like that's good for the company. It's good. It's good for the patients though, and and anything we can do to get these drugs out earlier is a great thing. Yeah, that's actually one of these thrilling experiences. It's the same if you unblind a phase three study and things like that. That's, you know, you, you hit this last key and then you wait until the data comes up. <laughs> it's a miracle moment. So if one of the listeners wants to become such a statistician that works in this field, what would it take them to to get into there? Right. Well, that, that that's a fair question. I'm trying to think of our most recent uh, folks that we've hired. Uh, like I said, most, if not all, have a master's degree in statistics or a similar field, uh, epidemiology, uh, a master's in public health or similar um, here. Many have a PhD, but honestly, a PhD is not a requirement. No glass ceiling here, at least I don't think so. But Beyond the technical skills, it, it really is that collaboration. It's that the, the being kind of the calm voice in the room of being able to, to handle the DMC meeting, but then also having familiarity with clinical trial data and the conventions to know, you know, okay, it's, it's coded to Medra. Here's our definition of an, a treatment emergent flag. We're using CTCAE coding on the labs, you know, all the, all the standard approaches that we do with clinical trial data. It takes somebody a few years from graduate school to know that. So that's critical. So it's a combination of those technical skills, statistics, clinical trial, along with just trying to be uh, measured. But then, yeah, if, if there is a problem, being able to kind of think on your feet and proactively find that solution, either during a meeting itself or quickly thereafter. So surely not something that you likely will do if you just go get out of university well we definitely have roles for people but it does take a little bit of time we, you know we have a mentoring program here a shadowing where they watch these they help behind the scenes and then hopefully you know our newer employees out of graduate school take on more and more responsibilities but i don't think it would be fair for the study of the patients for somebody fresh out of graduate school, or even an industry a statistician, somebody who's been in the industry for 20 years, but has never really been in those closed sessions, worked with the DMC, it wouldn't be fair to have them be thrust there because there's just so much more than just explaining the tables or, or just interpreting a p-value. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And you have kindly written up actually a blog post about this. So we'll get a link to that in the show notes. So if you just head over to theeffectivestatistician.com and you find a search for David Kerr, then you'll find that uh, episode and the corresponding blog post. I have to say, one of the fun things about my job has been the opportunity to train people on, on DMCs, going to companies, going to conferences, writing up blog posts or, or articles or presentations at conferences. It's actually been fun in a way these past eight months because people are paying so much more attention to biostatistics. I was having so many good discussions with relatives and friends these past four years, uh, four months uh, trying to explain uh, the Pfizer, Moderna, trying to explain why these were, you know, tr well-run trials, trying to explain what a 95% efficacy meant. So I think it, it, it's great timing right now. People are just really now, I think, starting to appreciate and understanding there were DMCs on those COVID-19 trials and helping walk through, you know, what a DMC would mean for these trials that are so fast, as opposed to our standard three or four or five-year studies, talking about that with sort of uh, those friends and relatives who aren't so familiar. Yeah, and actually these studies, you know, they were, uh, some of them were actually halted for a period to, to look into some safety uh, findings. So this is where you can see that the process and the uh, things actually work out and we capture these things, we can clarify them before we move for, forward further. Yeah, I mean, there's there, there's a little bit of skepticism, you know, sometimes about our, our industry. You know, the companies are just out for money. They'll do whatever it takes. But I've been in this field for 25 years, and I know everybody here, at least that I work with, takes uh, the, uh, the safety, the ethics very, very seriously. And we have to make sure that safety is maintained. And it's been good discussing that with, uh, with uh, outsiders. Yeah. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, that's the same experience that I had as well. It's um, and yeah, I know it's it's it, fine, fine. You mentioned it, but it's really you know when we you know the last the last months, um, not only that that suddenly statistics is um, a topic more or like the you know when you discuss with relatives or anything, it's also that uh, unlike many other areas in our in our industry in our like in our economy, um, you know it's it's getting down with COVID, so shutting down, you know, slowing down. Statisticians are required more than ever. Um, it's, you know, every every study, everything that we that is ongoing is being adapted to the COVID-19 situation and new studies running urgently. So for statisticians, it's the opposite, actually, to <laughs> over the last yes. month. It, it's definitely, definitely been busy. I mean, not just... <laughs> Uh, you know, we've had new studies uh, specifically for COVID, but then existing studies are being adapted or you have to account for a four-month gap in dosing. How do you, how do you account for that? Um, how do you account for people being dosed at home or having assessments out of window or missing assessments? Lots of interesting statistics. But even before this, uh, you know, for anybody who's listening, probably most of your audiences are already statisticians, but definitely I'll give a shout out if anybody's thinking about statistics as a career it's a it's a growth it's a growth industry for sure yeah yeah and and the demand is growing much faster than you know the universities can generate new new people and then of course it takes years to get to a level, certain level of experience so 
it's 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 quite quite bizarre actually. So um, yeah, bizarre but positive for the for the um, I, I do have a, like a related question on that, um, David. I do, you know, I come from the more from the open label side. So basically, having uh, you know, come from late phase areas. So I was an unblinded statistician, I think, once with um, actually with the West Coast company as well. So it's been a while, but um, I I have been attending many DMCs, but in open label studies, so single arm and 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 we also had studies where this was basically an open label study. But they were trying to do it the other way around, saying that they artificially blind the data for for the for the client for the um, for the study team, but then work uh, with the like let's say unblinded original data, open label data with the DMC to to move on. Have you have you worked in these settings as well? And what what are the the challenges in there? Sure. So our most Standard approach are, are double-blind trials, but we work on many trials that are either single-arm or that are open-label, particularly oncology studies. For the single-arm studies, uh, sometimes they want a DMC just as an outside view. Uh, if there's an SAE or some, uh, some deaths, it's just nice. That makes regulatory agencies and IRBs feel a little better if there's some outsider giving their perspective. But clearly, those are longer open sessions and shorter closed sessions because there's nothing confidential really for the DMC to look at for the single arm studies. For the open label studies, I've seen a wide variety of how companies either in internally put up their firewall. I've seen it where I only make a single report. It's by, by arm explicitly. And it's kind of like the single arm. Just everybody has an open discussion, but people appreciate having the independent voices there giving their perspective. I've had some where there is a firewall of the company. And so they try to pretend that they don't know who's on which arm. They keep the dosing page um, confidential or some biomarker data confidential. And we still have a DMC and they look at it by arm um, and do what they would normally do. And the sponsors said that they promised not to look at it by arm, even though I think they might be looking at it. I've had somewhere it's just one case report form, the death page. The death page is hidden and only the DMC looks at deaths by arm. And maybe that's relevant if that's the primary endpoint and there's formal you know, efficacy evaluation of mortality. So lots of different approaches. We, we could always create a, a fake randomization output, you know, purple versus gold, A versus B, um, using fake randomization and, and just if people want to review. And then the DMC reviews the true randomization. It's just a little trickier on the dosing, the exposure page. Sometimes that's very specific to the treatment and it's a little harder to fake randomization. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is kind of, basically we always talk about the double blind studies with a, with a patient and physician, but actually it's triple blind. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Uh, patient, physician and sponsor. And if you really can't, blind the patient and the physicians, then maybe you can at least get the sponsors somehow blinded. Yeah. So uh, that's it. You have some kind of more independent decisions there. Yeah. 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 I mean, and definitely, definitely I know there's reasons for open label studies, but uh, I'd, I'd always love for there just to be a double or as you more appropriately say, a triple blind study. It just makes it 
uh, cleaner and, and there's no accusation of bias for any alterations to the trial made by the sponsor during the course of the study. Yeah. And especially the DMC then. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any final recommendation or final take-home message that you want the listener to, to go with? No, I, I, I think I just would say it's, it's, it's a fun little niche career. I would never have thought about this, kind of stumbled in it. But I, I think you get to do, for me, the fun part of statistics. But you actually, I love the variety, I guess I'll say. I work on dozens of studies each day, literally, just a variety. So I just couldn't be a single a statistician for a single program. So that's exciting. And and yeah, being able to see those results and feel like you're part of the process. I, I know I've been able to say to you know friends and family, if they're thinking about enrolling in a clinical trial and they're nervous, I'll say, well, every trial that's appropriate will have a data monitoring committee and you can be rest, rest assured that there's somebody looking out for your best interests. So definitely enroll in that study and participate. Awesome. That's actually a very, very good uh, takeaway uh, for, for the Indeed. listener. And, and thanks so much for the interview here and for talking about this. You, yeah, you call it niche, but actually quite critical uh, piece in the overall puzzle to get uh, safe and effective therapies to patient in also a fast and good way so that we solve all these big problems that we have in terms of treating diseases in our ever getting older and bigger populations. Great. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you, David. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain, who helps with the show in the background, and thank you for listening. Please visit theeffectivestatistician.com. Learn about the new leadership program and If you like it, also tell your colleagues about this. Maybe you have already participated in this program. We have already more than 100 people that participated in it. So if you are one of these, then of course tell your colleagues even more about it. Reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.